Uh, welcome to the Evan Roberts podcast, and I just want to take everybody behind the scenes for a second. In order to set this up, in order to do this podcast with this guest, we are recording this at 2 o'clock in the morning, hours after the Carolina Hurricanes defeated the Washington Capitals to ensure that the Islanders have home ice advantage in the second round of the playoffs. And joining me right now, a man who has done a great job putting together one of the more popular podcasts in the podcast world. I listen just about every single week. It kept me abreast of the Islanders season. If there were ever a couple of games I would miss due to a Brooklyn Nets run or whatever, and that is the Isle Seat Podcast and their host, Mike Carver. Mike, I appreciate you doing this at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's why my voice sounds the way it does, by the way. Yeah, you're not, you sounded a little, uh, you know, just woke up, Ev. I mean, well. 2 a.m., there you go. <laughs> so this is just ending for me. Of course, I finish up with Scotty Farrell, Farrell on the bench at 2 a.m. That's when my, you know, our show ends. So right. I'm still ready to go here. So. I know it's the end of your day. And for me, it's like, is this right. a dream? Is this actually you know, happening? You got you to gotta get up soon and drive in here. So. <laughs> I got an hour of sleep and I joked to you that a part of why we were going to do this at two o'clock in the morning was, yeah, your shift was ending, but we wanted to know who the hell the Islanders were going to play. I mean, that we could have done this at a different time, but we wanted to have an idea of who they play. And this whole thing has been so bizarre because the Islanders haven't played in a week and a half. And yet for a week and a half, we've known they're in the second round. The one thing we wouldn't know is who the hell they're going to play. And I joked to you as it went to overtime and a second overtime, are we ever going to know who the hell they're going to play? Like, are we going to be trying to do this podcast and they'll be in like the seventh overtime or something? I was actually kind of hoping for that because that would have been really good for the Islanders because you would have a tough scene for a team to turn around 36 hours later and have to play the Islanders on Friday night. Look, uh, that's going to be one of the things that is going to be talked about the most for the next day and a half until Friday night when the Islanders open against the Hurricanes is how much time they have had off and they have not played since last Tuesday when they swept the Penguins. It is a really long time to sit around. I believe I saw today that they are going to have uh, the second longest wait uh, tied with a bunch of other teams, second longest wait in Stanley Cup playoff history before they play their next game after sweeping around. Well, I mean, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, think about the extremes of it, the extreme of sweeping a series against the other team that you're facing going as long as humanly possible. So when you do it, how could you have any longer of a wait than what they've, ha- what they've been having to deal with? Yeah, and this series, you know, these, this team that they're going to play, this was a wild series that the Hurricanes and the Capitals played because there were so many moments in this seven-game series where I thought the Hurricanes were done. I was like, the Caps are the defending champs. They have the pedigree. They're in the playoffs every year. They were up 2-0 in the series. I said, all right, maybe Carolina will get a game. They go back to Washington for game five, and they hammer them to go up 3-2. I go, all right, Carolina's done. And then even tonight in game seven, they get up 2-0 at home, and I go, now this finally has to be the moment. The Capitals (laughs) are finally going to shut these guys down. And the Hurricanes, Evan, just continued to press forward. And I was very impressed by them in this series. I've been impressed by them all year. And I know a lot of Islander fans have been running around for 10 days saying, man, I hope we get the Hurricanes, you know. And and there's a lot of advantages to both sides. When I was looking at who would be the better matchup for them, I honestly almost at the end of the day came out with the Capitals for a couple of reasons. But this Hurricane team is very good. They've got some high-octane players, the kind of sneaky high-octane players. 
But, um, you know, I think it's going to be a very fun and interesting series. You know, I've learned this in any sport when you're in the next round, whether you're in the World Series like the Mets were in 2015, and you've got time to think about it and time to say, I'd rather play this team, I'd rather play that team. The truth is, you'd rather not play anybody. I mean, right. you, you know, <laughs> when, when you're facing somebody in the postseason, there's a reason why they're in the postseason. So you can sit there and say, home ice is the most important part, or we had better regular season success. But either way, especially in hockey, and I think we've seen it in the first round of the playoffs, it, nothing makes sense. I mean, no. there's nothing is predictable. And the entire first round of the NHL playoffs, and sure, the Islanders were a part of it, because I don't think there's anybody in the world that thought the Islanders were going to sweep the Pittsburgh Penguins. Defeating them is one thing. Right. Sweeping them is another. They were just a part of it because the idea that Columbus would, again, not just beat Tampa Bay, the regular season juggernaut, but sweep them, it doesn't make sense. That's the NHL playoff. So the truth is, who do you want to play? You don't want to play anybody. Right. You just want to go to the next round and win. You're at a spot right now where any of these eight teams that are left can absolutely win the Stanley Cup. I saw tonight that for the first time since the expansion era in 1967, all four division winners did not win a playoff round. All four of them went out here. Tampa Bay, Washington, Nashville, and Calgary all go out in the first round, have only three higher seeds advanced. Mm. The Islanders, the Bruins, and the Sharks, the only higher seeds that moved on here in the first round. So this is a wide-open tournament right now, and even more reason, Ev, that the Islanders have just as good a shot as anybody that is left to actually do this. You are here now. Nobody thought that you would be here back on July 1st, October 1st. All these things that have happened in the last calendar year to the New York Islanders, they sit here now with eight teams left. They are one of them, and they could honestly beat pretty much all of them. There's only one team left that I think would really be a problem for the Islanders. And other than that, it's right there for them. I want to do three parts as we do this podcast, sure. all right? One part number one is going to be about you, all right? Okay. Part number two is the season in its totality, and part three is we'll preview the next round of the playoffs against Carolina. I want to start with you because for those who don't know, Carver is a longtime producer at WFN. You've produced Steve Summers. you produced a lot of different shifts. You then moved on and now produce Scotty Farrell on the bench in the CBS Sports Network. I know you as a diehard Buffalo Bill fan, as a Yankee fan, as a Notre Dame guy, and obviously an Islander fan. Which is, because everyone's got a number one. You know, Beningo is Jets first. Doesn't mean he isn't a great Mets fan or a Nick fan. He is a Jets guy. For me, my first love is baseball. It's the Mets. Are the Islanders your first love? Is it the Bills? What's number one for you? I'm not going to lie, Evan. I know it sounds like, you know, I'm trying to not pick one over the other. I genuinely have the same, you know, passion and love for the, the three teams at the top. You know, the Yankees, Islanders, and Bills. Like, I really, it's hard for me to put one over the other. Um, and, and it's like, you know, the Yankees, I've seen win. You know, so I've seen five World Series in my life. So I've had some winning on that side. The other two teams that I root for have never won in my lifetime. Now, the Islanders won, but I was alive, but I didn't see it, okay? Right, right. In the early 80s, I mean, I was two. I didn't see the Islanders going down uh, Hempstead Turnpike with the cars down there after they won the Stanley Cup. So, you know, and I saw my football team lose four Super Bowls in a row, and they've been awful for 20 years. I honestly live and die and breathe with these three teams, and it's so hard for me to put one in front of the other. And I know 
Probably the next thing would be, well, if they were all playing for a championship on the same night, which game am I watching, right? Which, which one is it going to be? And since I've seen the Yankees win, they would probably take, you know, right now that little bit of a, you know, back seat just because I want to see the other two teams win so badly, you know, that, that, that would probably be, and the, cause the other two teams also, Evan, you know, this, they've been so awful. Uh, for the last 25 years, you know, the bills have one playoff appearance since 99. The Islanders have been, you know, they've gotten out of the first round now twice since 1993. So not a lot of winning for those two teams. And I feel like I've invested so much that the payoff when one of those teams finally wins is going to be great. What is your first memory as an Islander fan? First memory as an Islander fan. My dad took me to a game probably around 86, 87, right around there. I was six or seven years old, immediately favorite player, Pat LaFontaine, uh, still to this day, uh, it's Patty LaFontaine. And that was my first like memory. Now I was still very young. I remember going to a couple of games. The first, you know, remember really being into it and watching a lot was probably the 93 run. I was 13. Um, they were obviously, playing the Capitals. I remember that capital series and Turgeon getting decked by Dale Hunter. Mm. I remember beating the penguins and, and losing to Montreal. So that was probably the first year that I really got invested in being a kid. Cause that was at the same time when the bills were good. So I was like this 13 <laughs> yeah. year old kid. So I, I was really getting into it a lot more right at that age. But my earliest, earliest memory is definitely my dad taking me to the Coliseum around 86, 87 and seeing the team for the first hey, can time. Can you imagine someone telling you in 1993, <laughs> so this is what's going to happen. This is to the, the end of the line. <laughs> right. It, it, it's going to be terrible <laughs> for the next 20 plus years. It is. It is amazing to think about it because uh, after the four bill Super Bowl runs, you know, they got jobbed in Nashville in 99 in the music city massacre. And then I didn't see another playoff game until two years ago, a year ago, whatever it was when they played one of the worst playoff games you could see in your life, them and, oh, the, yeah. and the Jaguars, that 10, three thriller between Blake Bortles and Tyrod Taylor. So uh, I have not gotten to see a lot good from them and the Islanders too. Since 93, it's been a couple of first round losses. They made the playoffs a lot. You think to the T Toronto series in 02, of course, which was a, a crazy seven game series. And then a lot of five game losses, you know, to the lightning and the Sabres and the senators and then two years ago where they finally won a round and beat the Panthers. And now they're back here and they're in the mix, sweeping the Penguins, which absolutely nobody could have envisioned. So it's been a, it's been a wild 25 years rooting for those two teams. But at least I had the Yankees, Evan. No, I, I was going to say. That's right, because I, I think about my fandom and what was always weird is my dad would tell me about the history of all the teams I rooted for. And it all made sense that what he would describe kind of fit what I was watching. Like with the Mets, yeah, they had a couple of good years. I mean, 69, 86, and now I'm watching them. And it was similar every once in a while. They'd have a, they'd have a big year. They wouldn't win a championship. They'd have a big run. We described the Jets to me. The one thing I would always have a tough time understanding is when he would say, son, the Islanders were a dynasty. <laughs> and I'd say, what? what? How is that possible? And because 93 to me was also the first year I really remember as a fan and remember going to school and every, even though I grew up on Long Island, everybody was a Ranger fan, which was the most right. obnoxious thing ever. And then of course the Rangers went and won the next year. Oh my, that, that was the worst part. Yeah. And, and what I remember in 1994, in spring of 1994, and this still bothers me, 
I forget what grade it was, but I remember we had a class called library. It was actually a class called library. I don't know what the <laughs> hell we did. And that day, they canceled all activities so they could bring a TV in so we could watch the Ranger Parade. And I said oh. to the teacher, I'd like to be excused. And she said, well, why? You know, you're, isn't this great? We're watching a parade. You don't have to do any work. I said, I'd rather do work. I don't want to watch this garbage. I don't want to watch Rangers celebrate. And the teacher couldn't understand it. It pissed me off to this day. I was like, what do you think? That's a nice job by you, Evan. Good job. Damn right. Listen, <laughs> one thing I learned early is that I know the teams I root for, and I don't want to celebrate the teams I don't root for, you know? Simple right. as that. No, I, I agree with you, and... It's, it's, you know, I had that connection growing up where my, you know, my dad brought me to the Islander game, like I said, and he brought me to the Yankee game. And so I had that immediate con connection as a kid going to those games. Whereas with the bills, I didn't have that. You know, my dad's a Ram fan. He grew up rooting for the Rams in the seventies. Wow. So I didn't have that local jet giant connection, like going to a game like I did with the Islanders and the Yankees. So the bills kind of came to me naturally where you know, kind of like how there's so many cowboy, Steeler, and Dolphin fans growing up in the 70s. Right. I grew up at a time when, in the early 90s, where the Bills were really good, and they were on TV a lot, and they were exciting to watch with the K-Gun offense, and Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reid, you know, all those teams, and I immediately grabbed onto them, and that's when, uh, of course, uh, Super Bowl 25, all the other kids in fifth grade were rooting for the Giants, and I, of course, was a Bill fan, so that was a really fun uh time in my life as well and, and you could and i'm sure you did you could use that whole stupid argument you could say but they're a new york team well listen you and have your fun team with plays that in jersey yeah you know if you send mail to the jets and giants it's you got to put comma nj at the end of it you know there's <laughs> there's a lot of funny things that you could do with that we all know that i got you know if, for me to go to a bill game you know i got to get in a car for seven and a half hours you know it's not exact, right it's not easy we know that but they are the only true new york team when and i, and I feel bad saying this because the aisle seat podcast which everybody should download I, I i do enjoy it and i mean that i i didn't just say that to blow smoke up your ass i listen to it i throughout appreciate the year. that and i thank you because i have heard you mention a couple times on air that that is your spot to go to for when you do need some little Islander information. So I thank I do. you for that. And because I kind of, the way I always say, and I'm honest about my fandom for the Islanders is, I think over the course of most seasons this year, as an example, I probably watch half the games. That's probably where I'm at because right. I'm more of a basketball fan than I am a hockey fan. The Nets, I, I, I put them ahead of the Islanders so that when they're both playing, I may have them both on, but I'm, I'm certainly more focused on the Nets. When the Nets aren't playing and they're off, I'll, I'll watch you know, 100% of an Islander game. So when they're on a West Coast trip or for whatever reason the schedule works out where I'm in Brooklyn a lot, I always like to check in on the Islanders via your podcast. But here's what I feel bad about. This podcast, the Aussie podcast, has been on for a while, right? It, how many years is, has this franchise, if you will, been on? Well, this actual, you know, the ILC podcast started before last season. So the summer of 2017 is when we started. So for the 17-18 season was the first season we did it. And then this year is the second season of it. Now, my, my former partner, I did the show with Brian Compton from NHL.com. He's the guy that I, that I started it with. And me and him were doing the show at SNY on their podcast network, which uh -huh. is the Point Blank podcast. So me and B-Comp were doing the show there at SNY. We did it there for a little while, and then me and him decided that we wanted to kind of, you know, break out on our own because we were a little restricted in terms of when we could do it. It was kind of on their terms, and if something big happened, you know, it might be a week and a half before we can get back in the studio. 
So me and BCOM had an idea that, listen, let's try to do this thing on our own. We could do shows when we want, et cetera, et cetera. So that summer is when we got together. BCOMP did a lot of the legwork, no doubt about it. And we put the Isle Seat podcast together. And this was the second full year that the Isle Seat was in, uh, you know, uh, was alive and well. Now, I lost him last summer. Unfortunately, he couldn't do the show this year. Couldn't do it anymore. So I made the decision to keep it and do it myself. And it was definitely uh, a lot harder this year, especially at the beginning, because BCOMP is awesome. He's a great friend to me and he covers the Islanders for the NHL. So, um, we had that nice dynamic where I kind of came at the show from a sports talk radio kind of aspect, right? kind of like what you and Joe do. You know, listen, we're fans of the team, we're in, but we're in the media. We're going to tell you when it's bad. We're going to tell you when it's good. And B-Comp was kind of that guy who covers the team, had it from that angle. He's in the locker room. He talks to the players. He talks to the coach. So we had a nice dynamic me and him for that that kind of thing. So that that was really cool about it. And, and do you have some kind of deal with MSG? What's the deal? Do you work for what's what's your status right now? <laughs> well, the MSG thing happened this year. Uh, obviously, there was a bunch of commercials during the playoffs, right. That you saw me on, and that was more just MSG did a thing that they wanted to go and find different aspects of the Islander fan base, and they wanted to kind of highlight those this year. So. They went to the Offside Tavern, which is a bar in New York City that is the Islander bar. Mm -hmm. And they had the, the owner, Nick, and they did a commercial about him early in the season. And then they did one about uh, this guy, Donald, that owns Bagel Boss on Long Island. And he makes the Islander bagels, and he's a huge Islander fan, and he brings them to tailgates. They did one on him. You know, they went to a meetup group down in Charlotte and did one with them. So they, this guy, Jay Nelson, who works for MSG, he kind of went to all these different aspects of the Islander fanhood and did a little piece on all of them. He came out to me. I did a live show at the bar in late February, and um, he recorded the show that night, uh, you know, talked to me, did an interview with me about uh, doing the podcast, kind of like what you're doing right now, about the fans, all that stuff. And then I met with him again right before the playoffs started, and he cut a couple more interviews with me talking about the team and et cetera, et cetera. So those ran on those commercials, and that's kind of the extent of the MSG connection right now with me. All right, good. So they're not sending you any paychecks or anything like no, no, that. No, 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 no. All right, that's my 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 worry with everything is you don't want to get bought out by the big by the big guys. You know well, what I mean? Listen, you also would love you know. Listen, you also want to get if, paid. If anybody right. came knocking on my door, Evan, I'm not <laughs> no, gonna I'm not gonna turn them away. That's for sure. As you know, in this business. Um, if, if there's an opportunity that comes your way, you're absolutely going to listen to it. But uh, no, I do not work uh, with them at all. That was a bunch of really cool commercials that they did, and they were nice enough to ask me to be a part of them. No, it was very cool. I mean, I've said this on the air. You have become the face of Islander fandom in a way. Is that is that too much praise for you, Carver? Is that all right? I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, look, I, and I appreciate that. That's cool that you say that, and I, and I think that – when you had me on with you a couple Saturdays ago on your show, you were like, you're like the Joe Beningo of the Islander <laughs> yeah, fan like now. And I think that that's a little bit more accurate because as you know, sitting next to Joe for as long as you have, Joe gives you the passion of whether it's the Jets and the Mets because you know that Joe is a fan of that team. Oh, and, yeah. he, and he does sound and speak like the majority of those fan bases. So I guess you could say you're kind of right in that aspect where – if there's something about the Islanders, I'm going to tell you like it is. Now, listen, this year has been a lot of fun because the team has been really good. This has been an unexpected fun year, and there hasn't really been anything, really, honestly, nothing at all 
to cry and complain about. Whereas in the past, uh, there was plenty of times where uh, I would go off on things, you know, in the Doug Wade, Garth Snow era of Islander hockey, there was a lot of times that I would go off about really bad things that were going on with the Isles. And, and I get where you could probably say, man, that kind of sounds like, you know, something Joe would say about the Jets on a Monday morning <laughs> after a bad Jet loss. So this year's been a lot different because the team's been really good. You have people running the team now that uh, are competent. So it's been a, a different feel, but I do appreciate that. And, and I do hear that from other Islander fans as well, Evan. So you're not the only one. Well, congrats on your success. Now, let me get to this season because we go all the way back to kind of you, something you were alluding to, that this organization is now run by competent individuals. No offense to <laughs> Garth Snow. When they decided to blow it up, and I think the fans had a lot to do with it. It reminded me... And I can't say it's fully the same because I think when the Jet fans passionately pushed ownership to get rid of John Idzik, it's very different than Garth Snow because Garth Snow was here for a long time. You know, it's not like Garth Snow was here for two years. Things went bad and the fans said, we got to get rid of this guy. I think the passion that the fan base had towards <clears throat> moving on from Garth Snow was because he was here for a very long time. You know, it's not like he wasn't right. given a shot, but the passion in which the fan base had to rid themselves of Garth Snow did remind me of what the Jet fans did with John Idzik. Do you think that the fans, especially with new ownership, had a lot to do with the organization deciding to finally rip the Band-Aid off and move on from Garth Snow? I think there's a little bit of it. There definitely was. And, and if you remember early last year, around January, February, a bunch of fans got together and put billboards up by the Barclays Center yep. and... And there was a, a few things that went on. Look, we know this, whether it's flying the airplanes over the practice field or putting the billboards up around, you know that it looks bad, but that's not going to be the only reason that ownership makes a decision like that. There's going to be more that goes into it. Did it help? I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe a little bit, but um, I think the fans did play a role because there was a lot of people at the end of last year when the Islander season ended in early April, there was a lot of um, very angry people and, and whether it be on social media or everywhere, it was, I'm not coming back next year unless you make changes. And I'm sure that it factored in. Now let's also remember this, Evan, they did not immediately let go of Garth Snow and Doug Waite. Right. Okay. When the season ended, uh, a lot of time went on. It's not like they fired those guys. And then a month later they hired Lou Lamarillo. Okay they didn't know if they were going to be able to get these guys, Lou Lamarill and Barry Trotz. So they did not originally get rid of <laughs> Garth. And technically, Garth and Doug still work for the Islanders as right. well. They yeah. are not gone, <laughs> technically. So, you know, you, you got to mid-May, late May, is when the Lamarillo stuff happened. And that's when, you know, Garth Snow is being reassigned and Doug Wade is being reassigned. It wasn't until Lou came in the door and those moves were official. So it's not like the fans went nuts and ownership said, well, you know, these guys are out and we're going to do this. They had to wait and see. Now, what if they didn't get Lou? What if Lou stayed in Toronto, which wasn't going to happen? But what if that doesn't happen? Is Garth Snow still running the Islanders right now? I mean, I don't know. It's 
Yeah, I, I guess I, there's a 50-50 chance that that's possible. Going back and trying to remember the process, I, I, I do sort of remember bringing in Lou Lamorello, this reaction of, wow, this is a great hire, bringing him in, and then the uncertainty of what is he going to do with Garth Snow? Like, and Doug was, Wade, because Doug Wade right. was still the coach at that point. Yeah, so it did kind of take a while to develop, and then obviously the Barry Trott situation where he wins the Stanley Cup, things don't work out in Washington, and now all of a sudden – you hire trots and now looking back on it, or if, I guess if a year ago at this time, Islanders missed the playoffs, I would have told you not only are they going to get rid of Garth Snow and Doug Waite, you'd say, oh, that's great. I think you'd obviously be in favor of that. They're going to end up with Lou and Barry Trotz. Would you have said, that can't be real. Seriously, we're no, going to end up with Lou and Barry Trotz? Really? 1,000%, One, I would have said that can't be real. Now, <laughs> right. here's the thing. This kind of started early in the playoffs last year, there was some chatter that Barry Trotz and the Capitals might've been heading for a divorce. And I remember after they beat the Columbus blue jackets in the first round last year, which they were down 0 two in that series, lost the first two games at home, then won four in a row against the blue jackets to knock them out. There was this, um, you know, internet video and, and, uh, there was a clip of Trotz and Tortorella meeting at the handshake line at the end of that series and you could kind of people, you know, the, you know, the lip readers that always try to tell you what everybody is saying, Evan, on the internet, uh, they kind of felt that Trotz was saying to Tortorella, I won't be back here next year. There was something like that that was mouthed. So this was weeks and months before the Capitals won the cup. There was chatter that Trotz and the Capitals were going to break up. So clearly if the internet uh, lip readers were on top of it, I'm sure that somebody in the Islander offices was on top of it as well. But who knew that he was going to go and win the Stanley Cup, something the Capitals had been trying to do forever and always were the team that went out early. When yeah. you talk about these playoffs, they lost to the Penguins like three or four years in a row. They, they lost to the Lightning in a couple of in a bad series. So they had had some moments where you didn't think they would, it would happen for them. And then Barry wins and, and the chatter is like, well, there was a, a clause in his contract that if they won the Cup, he gets back at it. You know, the, uh, he gets a little bit of a raise for his last year. And the Capitals didn't want to pay Barry Trotz to be, you know, one of the one or two highest paid head coaches in the NHL. And the Islanders had no problem doing that because the Islanders have not had a head coach like Barry Trotz since Al Arbor. So it kind of all worked out really well for the Islanders that in the same offseason, Lou Lamarillo gets out of his Toronto deal. They wanted to elevate Kyle Dubas and that in Washington, uh, Ted Leonosis and, and those guys down there, even though winning the cup, they did not want to pay Barry Trotz what he wanted to be paid. They let him out of his deal. And there was only one team, Evan, that needed a coach oh, back yeah. in late June. And that was the Islanders. And it helped that the Islanders wanted to pay him because for years, listen, 20 years, what kind of coaches did the Islanders hire? They hired first time guys, guys who had never coached in the NHL before. Now, Ted Nolan, I know came, but he was, you know, I don't even really count that one because they ran him out as fast as they ran him in. But, you know, Peter Laviolette was the Islander coach. That was his first job. That was before Peter Laviolette won a cup and took teams to cups. So the Islanders really had not had a guy like this since Al Arbor. Did you think, because I know I did, when they brought in Trotz to go along with Lou, and, and I always thought that Tavares would resign. I, I never actually thought he would leave. Uh, but that 
No, we have to bring this up. I mean, this is a big part of this discussion right now. A big part of this season is this fiasco. I mean, yeah. it's. It, I think it adds to the amazingness, if you will, of this entire season. So you're damn right I'm going to bring this crap oh, I don't, up. I know you're going to bring it up, but I, I'm already remembering back to exactly what you're talking about because when I when they brought those two guys in, at first it was Lou. Even when it was just Lou, I thought that it was a done deal. Yeah, yeah. And then when Trotz comes too, and I remember the pictures – the video of the two of them walking into that dopey agent Pat Brisson's office out in LA the week that Tavares met with all those teams. And they were the first team to meet with Tavares on that Monday. And I see Lou and Trotz walking into that office building in LA. I'm going, this is done deal, man. Look at these two guys. They're going to drop all the hardware on the table and this is going to be over. I thought there was no shot when those two guys came at the beginning of that week that he was going to come back. Now, as the week went on, things changed. Did, before they ever made those moves, were you always confident that he was going to be here long term, or was there a part of you worried about him leaving? I always thought he was staying. I, I honestly, he, look, I know it sounds like sour grapes now, but he really did sell the fans a bill of goods. I, I mean, he really did. He said forever that I want to be part of the solution here. I love Long Island. I love this. I love that. Evan, he did it for years. And and I think that you would respect the guy a little bit more. And he, t- I know it's he had every right to leave. He was a free agent. We get it. Wanted to go home to Toronto. Fine. Then you shouldn't have sat there at the trade deadline or the summer before and tell everybody how you want to be here. Just do what Artemi Panarin did in Columbus this year. Listen, I, I'm keeping my options open. I might leave in July. You know? And then, you know, you could make a decision like Columbus did. Columbus made a decision where... This guy told us he's leaving. We have two things we can do. We can trade him right now, get something back, and whatever happens, happens. Or we hold on to him, and hey, let's even throw the dice even more and go bring in Matthew Shane and all these other guys and try to make a cup run. So that's what Columbus did, and as of right now, it's paid off for them. But, you know, there's different ways that John could have did this. Now, some reports say that John, you know, didn't wasn't fully committed behind closed doors and ownership told Garth Snow not to trade him. Whatever the deal is, um, you know, I th- always thought that he was coming back. No, I did too. And I, I remember when they did the big event at Belmont announcing, right. hey, we're building an arena here. And I said this on the air at the time when we were talking about it. And Joe, of course, totally understood where I was coming from and agreed. I said, this guy better stay. He's standing there talking about Belmont, talking about a new arena. It's going to be great. I said, if there isn't even inkling that he thinks he may leave, then don't do that event. Don't give me this whole, I can't wait for this bright future at Belmont. So I'm with you. There's a reason I was just beyond furious when he decided to leave. And I don't think a lot of people get it, especially ones that weren't really paying attention. I think it was the phoniness that he laid out there for you. The, the phoniness is what did it. Yeah, that's what it was. And this argument, and I'm glad you brought it up, of, but he has a right to leave. No, we, we get that. We're not all a bunch of morons. We understand he has a right to leave. It's a free country. I get that. It was the way he went about it. And this is, this is vivid because I remember talking to you about it, you know, kind of sensing, hey, what, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? And now we're talking days around the decision and July 1st. Well, I can that. remember that whole week leading up to July 1st. Oh. Uh, like, like I remember day by day what went on from that. You know, it was that Saturday or Sunday before. This is a full week before Sunday, July 1st, when he signed officially with the Maple Leafs. And that seven days before it was, 
you know, that was when the Islanders were still in that window where they could negotiate with him before he talked to other right, teams. Right. And all the talk was, well, you know, he better sign before then because if he goes and listens to other teams, he's, he's going to leave. And I'm like, you know, he's going to do what Stamkos did because the, the couple years before that, Steven Stamkos had a similar situation with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And he went and met with the other teams. He met with uh, Toronto. I believe, uh, you know, the Islanders put a call in to talk to him as well. And he ended up re-signing with Tampa. He didn't even get to July 1st. He met with some teams in that little window, and he said, you know what, I still want to stay in Tampa, done deal. So when it got to that weekend, I thought, you know what, he's good friends with Stamkos, he's tight with him, he probably talked to him, and Steve told him, listen, I ended up staying, but it was good to talk to the other team. Sure. And of course, Pat Brisson, his agent, who's one of the best agents, biggest agents in the National Hockey League, He's going to tell him as well, you need to listen to these teams. And, he, and you know that Prasan knew that the Maple Leafs were going to be big players in this. So I remember going into it thinking, you know what? He's going to listen, but the guy's told us all along that he wants to be here. And the new Islander owners who have been there for a couple of years now, Scott Malkin and John Ledecky, they are going to pay him whatever he wants. So I thought that this thing was still a slam dunk seven days before he left. And then as the days moved closer... When did it hit you? Holy crap, this this guy may leave. Because I remember, I think it was a Saturday or a Sunday because we were creeping yep. more towards 4th of July. I remember if, you texting me. Where if he didn't re-sign with the Islanders, he was going to lose the ability to That was to Saturday get that. night at midnight. So you knew if he's not signing before Saturday night at midnight, he's gone. Right. Like, and basically, Islander fans stood around with phones in their hands for 48 hours up until that Saturday night at midnight. Right. Waiting for the news. You're just waiting and waiting for something to happen because you knew that if it got to Saturday at midnight and he had not resigned, He's gone. that he was leaving. Because if he was going to stay with the Islanders and the Islanders could offer him the eighth year, why would he then go sign with the Islanders Sunday afternoon for the seventh year? You yeah. knew that if he was going to be gone, it was going to be Saturday night at midnight. And I think it was about, I'm going to say Friday of that week. You know, he met with the teams over three days. It was Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I believe it was five or six teams. Uh, the Sharks met with him. Uh, the Lightning met with him. The, the Maple Leafs and the Islanders. And I believe Boston and maybe even Dallas was in there as well. And after he was done with the three days of meetings, you know, he was going home to sit by the pool in Toronto for two or three <laughs> days and think about it, you know. And once it got to that Friday, I was like, something's up here. Yeah. I mean, because the other thing is, Evan, and you know in today's day and age and in sports and people wanting to be first with the scoop, you heard nothing. Yeah. There was zero coming out of the Tavares camp, coming out of the Islander camp, which isn't surprising anymore because now with Lou being there, absolutely nothing gets out of the Islander camp, which we would later find out is true because he did inform the Islanders, obviously, before Saturday night at midnight, he was not coming back. Lou just did not let that get out. So, yeah. <laughs> so we, you know, we stood around till Sunday at noon, not officially hearing that the Islanders were out, even though we kind of knew it. Right. There was no official word until the tweet dropped on Sunday afternoon at noon from Johnny that he was going to be taking himself home to Toronto. And I guess he could have tweeted it better, maybe. Well, or that was another thing. You know, that's just another layer of why this guy is so hated now. Yeah. And I know that if you're not a fan of the Islanders, you are not going to get it. It's a combination of what he did leading up, not saying, you know, what he really felt. I mean, he never, it was talked about by Toronto media for years, but he never made it out like he, he had this big desire to go home and play in Toronto. He never did. And then the day of free agency, July 1st, 
at 12.01 to put out the tweet of him sitting there with the Maple Leaf bed sheets when he was, you know, 12 or whatever he was. I mean, without, you know, throwing the little, you know, note to Islander fans first, I thought that it was a really bad look. And it's another reason why Islander fans are really always going to have a distaste for this guy. I, I think I told you how I found out that he left. <laughs> you were driving somewhere or something. I, not only was I, was I <laughs> you driving told me somewhere. This story. Is this the, you were listening to NHL radio. Yes. So? yes. I, and <laughs> I, I basically never want to listen to NHL radio ever again, because I'm driving down to North Carolina with, with my family. And, you know, every time I'm at a rest stop, I would check Twitter. I text you, I'd find out what the hell's going on. And it's Sunday at this point. So I, I know, I know the reality that, boy, he's really not coming back because he can't get that extra year. He can't sign an eight-year deal. It's going to have to be a seven-year deal. And I put on NHL radio, and as I put it on, I hear a John Tavares highlight. And I'm like, wow. I even said to my wife, all right, this is it. We're about to find <laughs> out. I think he signed. And the announcer says, I don't even know the host. I don't even want to give the guy any publicity. He says, there it is. Uh, the man of the hour, John Tavares, has signed a seven-year. And as soon as I hear seven, I said, oh, son of a bitch. Seven-year deal with the New York Islanders. And I'm like, what? what? Did he change his mind? Like, what the hell's going on? And then the guy says, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I guess this is going to be tough to get used to with the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> I know who it was. I too. almost drove off the freaking road. <laughs> That's one of my buddies. <laughs> Did he do it on purpose? Did the schmuck do it on purpose? Well, he's a, I know who it is, and, and he likes to troll every fan base, not just oh. the Islanders, and he does a good job of it on Twitter all the time. So well, uh, you should start following him. You'll really love his stuff. Absolutely if loved, not. If you loved him that day, you'd love him. Oh, yeah, stuff. I loved him. I had a great time. <laughs> I had a great time. How, so when he's gone, and you, you obviously – as a fan have to move on we're a fan of a team we're not a fan of a player right did you end up liking what Lou was able to do the rest of the offseason or was it as underwhelming to you as it seemed most Islander fans felt about it well look one of the things that I thought that the Islanders needed to improve last offseason whether they signed John Tavares or not was their bottom six forwards were not very good uh, I thought that they were really bad in the bottom six they provided them no offense they provided them nothing really and signing guys like Val Filippola and Leo Komarov and trading Matt, you know, for Matt Martin and bringing him back into the fold, that immediately gave you a bunch of new pieces in the bottom six. Now, I think it would have looked a lot better at the time if they had re-signed Johnny and then added to the bottom six. I think that it would have been great moves. But when people see John go out the door and those are your only moves, you know, in the forward group, you go, oh, man, I mean, geez, we lose this guy and you bring in. Uh, you know, Leo Komarov for four years and Val Filpola, who's, you know, quote unquote over the hill. And I mean, you're bringing Matt Martin back. I mean, Toronto didn't even play him last year. So uh, it was very puzzling, but obviously now looking back at it 10 months later, you can see the reason why Lou was putting these pieces in place. Uh, he was trying to build a different culture. He was trying to build a different structure with this team and get them back into more respectability. Cause these guys have been huge, Evan, this year. You talk to any of the younger Islander players who have been there for a couple of years, and they glow about Val Filippola and Leo Komarov, what those two guys have done in the room. Well, it's funny. When Toronto got eliminated the other day, and, and I, <laughs> I was happy about that, and I, and I think I'm consistent about this with all teams I root for, where 
it's easy to say, oh, no, I, I, want, I want the Maple Leafs. I want them to do well. I want them in the conference finals. Well, it's, it's, it's like Mets-Yankees in 2000. The Mets are in the World Series. I didn't root for the Yankees to beat the Mariners. I don't want any part of you just like to me. I don't know if I would have – I didn't want any part of that storyline that people found so sexy. Uh, before I get to the point I was going to make, did you want that? Did you Were you sitting there hoping, fantasizing about – playing the Maple Leafs in the conference finals? Well, it wasn't about fantasizing about playing the Maple Leafs, but when I look at that matchup, I wanted the Bruins out because as I referenced to you earlier, there's eight teams left, and I think there's only one of them that the Islanders would have a really hard time beating in a seven-game series, and, and that's them. the Boston Bruins. Gotcha. So I thought that the other night, a game seven between the Leafs and the Bruins, you had a major opportunity to take out what at the time was really the last piece, the last team that I thought that the Islanders would struggle with in a seven game series. So that was the aspect I was looking at it from. Look, what went on around uh, between the Islander and the Maple Leaf fan with the Tavares return game in late February. Um, I can't even imagine what it would be like for a seven game playoff series in Eastern conference final. Nonetheless, what, what that would be because it was ugly and it was vicious between those two fan bases over a three or four day period uh, in the last week of February, I can't even imagine what a playoff series between the two would be like. No, it would have been insane. There's no doubt. Well, I was going to tell you, and I found this funny, especially about Matt Martin, who you mentioned didn't even play all that much for the Leafs two years ago, is after Toronto lost that game seven, their fans were almost complaining. And I shouldn't say fans, but on their post-game show about how much the Maple Leafs miss guys like Kamaroff and Matt Martin. And it's just, it's funny They're to think about. They're glue guys, Evan. Yeah. In any sport, you think about it. You need your role players. You need your glue guys, guys that keep the locker room together, whether it's baseball or whether it's football, whether it's, you know, football's a little different. You have an offense and a defense. You know, you need guys to stick together there. You know, the NBA is more star-driven, I guess, but you do need that sixth man or no, seventh do. man that can help you win a championship. Yeah. But uh, in hockey, I think there's more of, you know, the 20 guys, everybody needs to be pulling the rope in order to win and in order to get to that goal of the Stanley cup, you need every man on your roster and having those guys in the locker room, it really changed a lot of things and it changed the culture for the Islanders this year. Is there uh, but before I get to when this season felt different, what was your expectation? Did you come in after, you know, obviously adding an elite head coach and Barry Trotz and bringing in some clue guys, like you mentioned, but losing Tavares, what was your expectation coming into the year? Did you think, hey, they were a playoff team? I thought that they were going to be a team who was going to hang around. I saw a lot of national experts who basically said they were going to be the worst team in the NHL this year. I did not think they were going to be that. You have a team that's coached by Barry Trotz. Um, you're not, Barry Trotz has made his entire career off of taking you know things that don't seem great and turning them into good. All those years in Nashville, he took teams that – some had no business making the playoffs and he was in the playoffs every single year. And then he took a capital team that never, never got it done and finally got them over the hump. So Barry Trotz has been a guy that has been able to overachieve or take teams that aren't supposed to be good and make them better. And he did that right away. I thought Evan, they were going to be like, if you go and look at this year's Philadelphia flyers, right. you know, they were a team that hung around until the last week in March, first week in April, and they kind of got eliminated with like two or three games left in the regular season. I thought that was going to be the Islanders this year. I thought they would compete for a wild card spot and maybe just run out of gas at the finish line. That's what I thought they would be. When did your brain tell you, wait a second, 
They're better than this. They have a chance to not only make the playoffs, but be a, a force. Was there a particular game or moment or stretch where your expectations began to change? There's really, for me, three moments in this season, and they kind of just, they were kind of like steps, you know, step ladder. The first one for me was in early November. They swept the, they, they won a back-to-back against the Penguins, a home-and-home. And, home. and uh, they, they beat them 6-2 in Pittsburgh and then won a shootout uh, at the Barclays Center uh, two nights later. And I thought, you know what? They've had a nice little start here. It's a month in, but man, those are two really big wins against a Penguin team. We know about the, we just heard about it for two weeks, the big, bad Penguins. To go in there and take both legs of a back-to-back off of them, I thought that that was really key. The next moment for me was the Toronto game at the end of December. Uh, this was right after Christmas. It was a Saturday night. Yeah, they Ho- beat them up. They dominated they, them. Yeah, it was hockey night in Canada, and that was the night that Barzell had the hat trick, yep. uh, the natural hat trick in the second period. They beat them 4 nothing. They dominated them. They just completely embarrassed the Maple Leafs in Toronto on hockey night in Canada. And I'm like, you know what? Man, that's a going into that place in that big spot, and you later found out that Trotz really talked up to them. You know, this guy left you last year. You know, Trotz is a master motivator. I don't think it comes out that often, but there's been a couple spots this year. He's been banging that drum all year of, you know, nobody believes in you guys, and this guy left you, and this and that. And I thought that night in Toronto really showed that the Islanders could play on a big stage in a really big spot. And then the third one for me, Evan, and this is where my expectation of this team jumped up, you know, another notch. This went from, you know, making the playoffs to, I think they need to do more than make a playoffs. They need to at least win a round. And that was around mid to late January. They had a stretch where they went into DC on a Friday night and they shut out the Capitals. And then a couple nights later, the Tampa Bay Lightning came into the Barclays Center and they whacked them like 5 1. And at the time, Tampa, as we know, ended up having a historic season. And I thought that those two games in that weekend, the Friday night against the Caps and the Sunday against the Lightning, beating both of them, two of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, that changed for me. I was like, all right. And it moved them into first place, too, that night in Washington. That was the first time all year that the Islanders were in first place. I was like, all right, you know what? They're playing great hockey right now. They've got this structure, this system. They can really do this. And they carried it through. Now, they had a rough patch. Their one rough patch of the year. Was that was it when they got uh, just annihilated? They got shut out in back-to-back games right. against the, Boston, the Boston Montreal. Montreal. Really, yeah. honestly, from like the last, they went on a Western Canadian trip in late February where they did not play well in Calgary and Edmonton. They ended up winning the third game in Vancouver. But from that moment against Calgary, that first game of that trip, there was probably about a a month right there where, you know, they played like 500. Right. You know, the one thing about the Islanders this year, Evan, they did not lose three games in a row in regulation all year. All year, they did not lose three games in a row in regulation. So every time the Islanders kind of got punched and you were like, all right, is this where the other shoe is going to drop? Is this where things are going to end? They ended up coming back. And, you know, giving you a couple of big performances. And like you said, they got whacked two shutouts in a row in Boston. Or actually, that was home against Boston. And then in Montreal on a Thursday night. And we were like, man, this is it. The run's over. (laughs) And then they came out that weekend. I believe that was the weekend. They then went and won in Philadelphia and then home against Arizona on a Sunday. And And it was like, all right, they're back. They're good. And they have played great hockey since then. They had a huge comeback win in Winnipeg a week later where they were down two goals and they had a, in the last two minutes, they tied it and won it. 
And uh, that was kind of the moment and where they took off. I remember the game in Philly that they won was the reason why you couldn't be at our fantasy baseball draft. Basically. Yes, that was true. That Which, was the weekend I went down with the big meetup group down in Philadelphia and we went to the game and had a great time. I stayed there the whole weekend with the family and, and uh, did some stuff with my wife and daughter on Sunday. Which That's is obviously much more important than drafting a shortstop in the eighth round of a fantasy baseball draft. <laughs> it absolutely is. And I'm still upset I wasn't at that draft. Now, listen, so, you, you can know. recover, though. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> I'm still upset I wasn't there. I, I never thought, and I remember late in the year when they got to first place, the idea of, oh, my God, this is the latest the Islanders have been in first place in blah, blah, blah. How much time? I never thought winning the division was that important. It would have been nice. It, to me... It was home ice advantage. That yep. was the yep. the line in the sand of don't lose that. And obviously, they held on. They were able to win enough games down the stretch of the year to hold on for that spot. They beat. They won in Washington. Not that that mattered all that much, but that was. I mean, it mattered. It, it mattered for them. I yeah, know I get, that Washington I, didn't care that night because they had first place locked up. But that was a no. Huge, you're right. They had to. That win. was huge for them. Yeah, because if they lost that game and they Pittsburgh game had won, right? So you're right. They actually did need to win that game if memory serves correct. Now you're right. But that was the important thing to me was making sure game one, first round of the playoffs, is in their own building, and and to get that accomplishment even though it turned into a four-game sweep against Pittsburgh, that was the bigger thing than actually winning the division. No, it was, and I said that for months. I said, you have to at least get home ice. I know it would be nice to win a division and put a banner up, but who cares about a division banner? I know you haven't had one in 30 years, but let's be honest. There's only one banner that matters, all right? The banner that matters is the one you get at the end. You know, 30 teams lose at the end of the year in this league. Only one wins, okay? So you could put your division banners up. It doesn't make a difference. Home ice mattered. They had not had home ice in a series since 1988, okay? Been a long time since the Islanders had home ice. And, and getting that, that final week, did they blow an opportunity to win the division? They did. They lost the game that last week on a Monday night at home to Toronto that if they would have won that game, they would have played for the division against the Caps the last game of the year. But it is what it is. They got home ice. And just take a look. All four division winners got eliminated yeah. in the first round, Evan. So it, as long as it doesn't really matter, it doesn't make a difference. In this series against Pittsburgh, what did you think going in? You thought they were going to win in six? Did you think they were going to lose? What did you think going in? I, my prediction before the series was Islanders in seven. I thought that they would win a seventh game at the Nassau College. What, what was, because this series was incredible to watch. Th to me, the most impressive thing in this four-game sweep is how their counterpunch every single time when Pittsburgh scored a goal was remarkable, mostly by Jordan Eberle. I think he did it twice personally. Both games in Pittsburgh. Yeah, every time the Penguins would take a one nothing lead, which they took in games two, three, and four, within a minute or two, every time they'd respond, which is why despite having one nothing leads in three of these games, the combined total of time they led in this series added up to something like five four minutes, minutes. Four minutes minutes and 51 seconds 451 to be exact the amount of time that the <laughs> penguins led in the entire series so that tells you right there what the Islanders did the Islanders did a couple things in this series Evan number one they got their scoring from guys that I thought they needed to get scoring from you know you know you need your you know your grinder guys to chip in with a big goal every now and then which they're going to really need in this hurricane series but they needed Jordan Eberle and Matt Barzell, and Anders Lee, and Brock Nelson, and Josh Bailey. Those are their five best offensive players. They needed big performances from all those guys, and they got it in that Pittsburgh series. Those guys got it done. And the other key for me was Sidney Crosby made a living 
beating up on the Islanders his entire career. He was almost a two-point-per-game player against them, and they iced him out. Oh, the completely. Guy, guy had one point in the entire series, and he didn't get it till game four on that Gensel goal, 30 seconds into game four. He got an assist on that. The only point that Crosby had, Tom Kunakel, Evan, had more points than Crosby in this series, if you can believe that. Yeah, and he had a goal wiped away on that yes, offside play. Yes, well, on the, the <laughs> game, yes, the game uh, won first, right out of the shoot. But I thought that they dominated them. The Islanders just, you know, the Penguins had a couple of things. You know, this was a year for the Penguins where, you know, Crosby kind of carried them to the finish line. It, it wasn't a vintage Penguin team. Their defense was very slow and very bad. And the other thing that really shocked me in the series was, you know, Evgeny Malkin was very lazy and he took some bad penalties, especially in that game two at the Nassau Coliseum. He took two or three in a row. That was really bad. And how about Chris Letang being as awful as he was? Right, right. And Letang was the guy. He was lazy. He was awful. And he got absolutely nothing done uh, in a big spot. He made some bad passes. Even after the series, he complained about how bad, uh, you know, about that about people giving him, you know, the business about how bad he was. He didn't like that either. So I thought Letang was awful. I thought Malkin was awful. And Crosby, the Islanders completely bottled him up. Yeah. So there was nothing that they could do. And the goalie was great. I mean, you know, all year long, it was more than just Robin Leonard. Obviously, their defense had gotten a lot better. Grice had played really well. And I, I was always curious, because, I, I mean, I didn't think the Islanders were going to sweep them, to be honest with them. I don't think anybody did. But I was curious how Coach Trotz would handle the goaltending, because if you look at both of these guys, Leonard and Grice, they both have had great years. They both have played a lot. I was very curious how it was going to be handled. And basically, Robin Leonard said, there's going to be no decisions, because I'm going to be great, and you're never going to take me out. And that's it. And so he was brilliant in this series. Yeah, he was excellent. And and he he said it before the series. He goes, you know, look, both guys could absolutely play. I think he actually said both guys will play. Right. That ended up not happening. And I think I told you this, and I've told a couple of other people when I was on with you a couple of weeks ago, and that was if Robin Leonard, you know, plays the entire playoff and you never see Thomas Grice, that means things are going good. Oh, yeah. So Robin Leonard is going to keep playing. Now, this is going to be an interesting spot coming up against Carolina because – Thomas Grice was excellent against the Carolina Hurricanes this year. Uh, he beat him three times. He has a 1.75 goals against against him this year. Grice played all the games against the Carolina Hurricanes, and he was very good. But as we found out in this Capital Hurricane series, the regular season does not matter anymore. The Capitals beat the Hurricanes four times this year, and, and that obviously meant nothing. So even though Thomas Grice had a really good regular season against the Carolina Hurricanes, that means nothing. Robin Leonard has been your guy. He was excellent against the Pittsburgh Penguins. He will be the guy in game one. Now, just like last series, Evan, if there's a game where Robin Leonard looks bad and the Islanders lose a 5-1 game and let's say they're down 2-1 in the series, could I see Thomas Grice, you know, playing game four? I absolutely could. But the, the, And it's similar to the Pittsburgh series in this regard. When you think back to the Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes, they haven't played in forever. No, nope. I mean, they, they played, played three times in October and once in January. Yeah, that, that's an eternity ago. And so, the Carolina Hurricanes are a much different team now. Yeah, uh, no, no doubt about it. So as when the Islanders pulled off this sweep in Pittsburgh and you didn't have to come back to Long Island, this idea that... No, come on. Lose the game so we can clinch on Long Island. Give me a break. You don't do no, that. You no, win no, as no, fast no, as no, you no, can. No, you want to get it done as soon as possible. You, I, of course, that was the talk. And also there was the thing hanging over where they weren't going back to the Nassau Coliseum for the, you know, the next round. And 
Let's get one more game there. Listen, you do not want to give a team, any team, I don't care if it's the Penguins or the Hurricanes or any team in the NHL, you do not want to give them any kind of life. And if you could do what the Islanders did to the Penguins in game four where they got that lead and then they choked them out. I mean, that's, that's basically it. what they did in that game. Absolutely. And they took the life out of the Penguins the entire it, series. This is a sport, you know this, the Islanders have been a part of it, where 3-0 leads can be blown. This Absolutely. is not... Well, it's only happened four times. Yeah, but you know what? That's three more times than yeah, baseball right. and basketball <laughs> yeah, I, combined. I know. <laughs> so I get it. Yeah, it's only four times. It's only four but, times. But it happens. <laughs> and the other thing that happens is, it's, you're right, it's only four times, but there are plenty of times where at least a game seven is forced. You know what I mean? So maybe the comeback isn't completed, but right. a game seven is forced. You know, yep. that's the Islanders did that back in the 70s right after they had come back from 3-0. So it happens. And I think they did about, it to the Penguins. Yeah, they did it to the <laughs> Penguins, right. In baseball, and I don't mean to bring up a sore subject. Well, listen, this is what it is. The, the Yankee-Red Sox thing. That's the only time a game seven was even forced. Yeah. let alone a team coming back from 3-0. So, and the game was over in the first inning. Yes, it was, <laughs> no doubt. Look, the, the whole arena thing, it is what it is, Look, right? It's, this has been a topic that has been very tough because, you know, you don't want to talk about this stuff because the, all the arena talk is, Evan, is it's negative talk because we still know that this thing is not over with. Until, honestly, we're sitting in that new arena in Belmont park and we watched them put a puck on the ice. I don't even know if you can believe that it's going to happen. So, um, you know, going back to the Barclays center, here's what I've kind of been saying about it. I don't want to hear any excuses. I was there. You were a couple games as well. I remember being you, I was producing a pregame show yeah. for that one time. We did that. I believe that Sunday night game, whatever it was. And, um, that place can get loud. Oh, yes. Like it was full and it was loud. And if the Islander fans, which they will, bring the same energy that they brought to the Nassau Coliseum and they bring it into the Barclays Center for this series and hopefully series after that, they're going to be just fine because as long as you give them that juice, it doesn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, it's, no matter what sheet of ice the Islanders are playing on, they have to play their game. You know, it's just, it's that simple. And we know that that building can get loud. It was loud when John Tavares beat the Florida Panthers in 2016. I was, was in loud. The, I was in the building that day. It was electric. It was yep. great. And, I've said this before. Was it louder than any net game you've ever been at? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> it was. It was. But mainly, uh, the, the thing is, it's funny. It's about the people that fill an arena. It's no not question. about the arena. Well, that's what I say about the Nassau Coliseum. Everybody always says, oh, it's so loud there and it's so this. You want to know why the Nassau Coliseum is so loud? I get the ceiling is low and it's still a really old barn. Sure. But here's another thing about the Nassau Coliseum. The entire lower bowl and every bowl for that matter has not been pushed out by the corporate crowd. Exactly. There is still the hardcore Islander fan is in every single seat in that arena when they play there. And that is why it is the atmosphere that it is. I, I've been, I can't say I've been to every playoff atmosphere in this town because I haven't experienced a Nick home playoff game. Mainly they don't have well, a lot I of those. Why. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's their own fault. And I also haven't experienced a home jet playoff game because again, there haven't been a lot of them. There's been a few, you can go back to 2002, but there haven't been a lot of them, but I've experienced the Rangers and the Devils. Like, in fact, when they were playing each other in the conference finals a couple of years ago, I've experienced the Yankees, the Mets, the Islanders, the Nets. Uh, the Islanders have, in my opinion, maybe I'm biased, the loudest 
home crowd I've ever heard in this area, period. I mean, it, it beat the Rangers. Sorry, Ranger fans. Those are just the facts. My ears are no, being fair. I agree fair. with you. I was at the Garden for, those, for the Stanley Cup final games against the Kings, and listen, was it loud? Of course okay, it, was it was loud. loud but it yeah. was not. It's not like it is at the Nassau Coliseum. No, it and, and the thing about the arena is, and it's similar to Brooklyn because it has to do with Brooklyn, when they announced that the Nets were moving to Brooklyn in the early 2000s, it took a decade for right. them to play a game there. Now, there were many who thought the arena would never happen. Uh, Francesca would always tell me, you never get an arena, bro. It's never going to happen. <laughs> okay, now he happened to be wrong. He wasn't the only one. It was never going to happen, never going to happen, never going to happen. It happened, but it took a very, very long time. That is similar in that there may be an arena in Belmont. I think there will be. The problem is it may take a lot longer than we envision, and that's frustrating. But while Brooklyn isn't perfect, it's certainly not. And the Nassau Coliseum, when I was there for game two, it was great. It was electric. But I'll tell you the other thing, and I texted you this, it's also not a major league arena. No, they can't play there. You can't they, they play there. Can. It sucks for fans. As loud as it is, and it was great, I love the atmosphere. You want to go to the bathroom? No. It's like a surgical procedure. I get do anything. You want to go to the bathroom? You want to get a beer? You want to get a hot dog? You want to get anything? It's a surgical procedure. And not only that, the things that they tell you about it NHL-wise from their operations aspect, it is not good there either. They cut out a lot of the area upstairs where the press box was, and there's no... Uh, Luxury suites up there anymore. A lot of that arena has been taken apart. And there just isn't room for a lot of things behind the scenes that go on there. And that's on top of what the fans really care about is you can't go and do these things that you just talked about because it's impossible. Yeah. So it's... Can't play there. You can't play there. And it was great that they had the first round there. It was fun. I was, I was glad to be there. But Brooklyn's going to rock. It's going to rock. And it is, it's just a strange situation because they haven't played a game there since February 16th <laughs> was the is. last time they played there. So coming back after not being there for two plus months, it's going to be weird not only for the fans, but how about the players? I yeah. mean, they, they all live in the area by where the practice facility is at Eisenhower Park and where the Nassau Coliseum is. And um, now they've got to go back to going into Brooklyn, and it's going to be very different for them. Well, they're going back to Brooklyn, and they're going to open up this series with home ice advantage against the Carolina Hurricanes. How about the Islanders having home ice <laughs> in the second round of the playoffs? I mean, it's just uh, it's kind of zany to think about, isn't it? It's surreal. When you're watching this double overtime game, all right, and I think every Islander fan I joked about it says, keep going. You, know, you want to go yeah, five no, overtimes? Play all night. When Justin Williams, who's a million years old, scores oh. the game winner. Mr. Game 7. Is your reaction, yes, this is it. What was your feeling about it becoming official that it is Carolina and home ice advantage? I honestly think the only advantage about them winning over the Capitals is the home ice aspect of it, is that you're going to get to play four games in Brooklyn if needed. Um, these are both very good teams. Now you're going to say, what do you mean? You know, the Capitals won the cup last year. You really want to play them? Here's what I saw from the Capitals in this series, Evan. I saw a Capital team that was ripe to be beaten, and sure enough, they were. I thought that they had finally started to get some... You know, that it's so hard to win the cup, Evan. I mean, you talk about two-plus months of grinding to get that 16 wins, and the Capitals finally do it last year, and then they spent a month and a half basically getting bombed around the streets of Washington, D.C., dragging the cup everywhere, and then they, you know, they had a really slow start to the year. These things catch up to you. It is so hard to repeat in the NHL. It is, it is a long journey, and the Capitals in this round look like a team that was ripe to be beaten, and I kind of thought, man, even if they get by the Hurricanes here, 
the Islanders have had some rest and they're playing a really structured game. I mean, they could take the Capitals out. Hurricane team scares me because they're a really good team. I know that they haven't been around. It's the first time in the playoffs in 10 years, but having a guy with a lot of experience like Justin Williams, uh, it's a tough chore. Now, here's the one thing that I do like. I don't think Peter Morazic, who's been very good for them, uh, Peter Morazic is beatable. And the Islanders might find some opportunities to beat Peter Morazic, their goaltender in this series. But they, uh, they have Nino Niederreiter, who's a former Islander. They made a trade for him, Evan, a couple weeks before the deadline. It changed their team and added another offensive dynamic to them. This kid, Sebastian Ajo, is a really talented player. They've got some guys who can play, Ev. So I wasn't, like, jumping up and down, yay. I was kind of happy at the, the schedule aspect of it because now there's going to be two weekend games at the Barclays Center, so I'm going to be able to go. But other than <laughs> that... There wasn't a lot of jumping up and down. Oh, great. We're playing the Hurricanes because they're both really good teams. Do you and, you know, Joe has said this, Beningo, and he's right, that we're going to respond based on performance. If the Islanders go out, sorry, I almost knocked my headphones off. If they go out and they win the first two games, we're going to say, ah, the rest. It really helped them. Right. But if they lose game one, it's going to be, well, yeah, they're flat. They haven't played in 10 days before anything is played. Good thing bad thing or are you yeah. in the middle about how yeah. much time off they've had i've been thinking about it a lot because obviously when i do my preview for the on the ilc podcast tomorrow about this i've kind of been thinking how am i attacking this you know because there's a couple ways of looking at it there really is um if you look in the past a lot of teams that have had this kind of rest they lose game one because they're not as sharp and you're playing a team that's been playing every other day um you know that so that aspect of it to me is like, you know, it could take you a game or two to get going here. The other part of it is, man, watching the Hurricanes in these last two or three games, they gave everything they had in this series just to get by the Capitals while the Islanders have been sitting around doing nothing. I know that they're going to be probably more intense right out of the gate on Friday night, but the Islanders play the type of game where uh, if they can just get through the first 10 minutes, or, you know, even through the first period, Carolina is going to be feeling it from playing all these games against the Capitals. And I think the Islanders are going to do what they did well against the Penguins. They're going to sit around, they're going to wait for their opportunities, and they're going to jump and pounce on them. And when they do, if they get up a goal or two on the Hurricanes, they're going to do what they did to the Penguins. They're going to choke the life out of them, especially with them being tired. Because here's the one thing, Evan, that the Islanders can do that a lot of teams in the NHL, especially the ones left in the playoffs, can't. They will play all four lines in any yeah. situation right. at any time. Trotz has no problem doing it, whether it's the first period, whether it's two minutes left in the third. He doesn't care who is out on the ice, and that keeps the Islanders fresh. That's why they were so good in back-to-backs this year on the second leg because their players were fresher. I got to tell you something crazy. Um, a couple of months ago, and trust me, this will all make sense because it's going to sound like a random story. A couple of months ago, my wife says to me, hey, uh, I want to go visit my brother and our niece and nephew in, the, in May. I said, okay, that's fine. Let me make sure I can get a Saturday off. We'll do a long weekend there. That weekend is the weekend coming up of May 3rd, 4th, and 5th. So I'm going away. They live, the family I'm going to go visit, <laughs> in Raleigh, oh, North man, Carolina. Look at you. Uh, I got to tell you, I know we have a great, um, there's a lot of Islander meetup groups that have kind of been taken, uh, you know, coming around this year. And I got a guy, Mikey, down there in Carolina. He runs the Carolina meetup group, and he's going to be there. He actually texted me tonight, are you coming down? Because uh, he gets group tickets, and he's going to have all Islander fans sitting in one section. So you got to let me know. I'll put well, you in touch with Mikey, and he'll get you a seat in his I, section. You I, can sit with all the Islander fans. I would love that. The, the problem I'm running into is when this schedule came out, 
I'm leaving to go to Raleigh, North Carolina on a Friday afternoon. Oh, they're playing Friday night. No, no thanks, Carver. Yeah, they're playing <laughs> Friday night. I think, I could be wrong. I got to check my itinerary. I think I land around 6.30. The game is Why at... Why leave a couple hours earlier? I, well, I may have to change flights, but the arena and the airport, <laughs> six miles from each other. Yeah, it's close. So it's very, very close. So I have to check out this itinerary and see if I can pull it off. I was hoping the game would be Saturday because the trip is right. get there Friday night, come back Sunday morning. So if the game was Saturday night, it would be, you know, Jesus, the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, go a little earlier. Go to the game. I'll hook you up with my guy, Mikey. He'll, you just sit with all the Islander fans down there. You'll have a great time. Oh, trust me. I'm already efforting to see when I'm the hell I'm thinking about f- going down there for that Friday night game. You so should. I, I'm, I, you know, listen, it's tough with me. I obviously got to get off work. I got to find somebody to watch my daughter. There's a lot of things. And I want to go down there because those people are unbelievable down there. They listen to the ILC podcast. They're great fans. And uh, Mikey's a great dude. And I'd love to get down there for a game. Uh, What is your prediction on this series? Are you confident? What are you feeling? I'm pretty confident. I think it's going to be a very tough series, a lot tougher than a lot of people are going to tell you over the next two days. I think that the Islanders win in six. I, I really do. I think the Islanders uh, will get it done. I think that they will. I think that the, you know, the, the grind that the Hurricanes just went through getting through the Capitals, it might not catch up to them in game one, but I think that by games three, four, and five, the Islanders being off for 10 or 11 days is going gonna, is gonna to really start to show it. Now, I looked at this, and I cannot believe it. The, uh, the la- there's only three times since 2000 that a team swept a series and then played a team that went seven games in their series. Only happened three times since 2000. The team that went seven games in the series won all three times, Evan, if you wow. could believe that. Huh. One of them was uh, the Devils winning the Cup in 2003. They played a seven-game series. The Anaheim Mighty Ducks sat around after a sweep, and the Devils beat the Ducks, of course, in that Stanley Cup final. That was one of the three instances. So the Islanders, listen, this is not going to be easy. But if they play the type of game that they played in the Penguin series and they get goals from their big guys and they get a couple guys to chip in and they lock down the Hurricanes' biggest weapons, which is Aho and Niederreiter, and I think that Robin Leonard is so much better than Peter Morazic that that could be a huge factor in this series as well. And here's another point, Evan, and I was going to save this for the ILC podcast, but I'll give it to you here on your podcast too. You watch the two celebrations with these two teams that just won. Barry Trotz, workmanlike. The Islanders swept the Penguins. Did you see them jumping all over each other? They got off the ice. They shook hands, and they were like all business, focused, ready to go. You watch that Hurricane team tonight when they beat the Capitals? They're jumping all over each other like they just won the Stanley Cup. They could be set, you know, listen, I'm not saying they're not, you know. I I think, though, in fairness, the situation was very different. They won a double overtime game in a game seven, you know. I get that part of it, but I think that the Islanders have been very workmanlike here. They have. I agree with that aspect. You have the experience of Barry Trotz, a Stanley Cup winning coach against Rod Brindamore, who is a very, you know, rookie coach, his first year doing it. So uh, a lot, two very different styles here. We shall see. I hope we'll talk again previewing the conference finals. That's the plan of attack. Well, listen, I, I think that there's a very good shot. I, how about Islanders going to be favorites in this series, Evan? Yeah, I, mean, I it's know. Just, it, I know. It's crazy how far this has come. Like we talked about here on this show, where we were on July 1st with everything that happened with Tavares, and now sitting here as May is a we're going to turn the calendar to May, and the Islanders have home ice advantage in the second round of the playoffs. I can't and, believe it. And what's just added to this is the fact that in my entire lifetime, basically for all of our lifetimes, 
when the Islanders have been in their playoffs, when they've had their run, if you will, a round, whether it's against the Sabres in 2007, whatever it is, they've always had to share the spotlight or basically not get the spotlight because right. the Rangers were there or even the Devils were there. This has been the spring of the Islanders. The Rangers are nowhere to be found. They're celebrating the lottery. The same with the Devils, and good for them. Good for those little organizations. They got their lottery picks. Everybody's <laughs> happy for them. This has been all about the Islanders, and I think that adds to the, the fun of what the last few weeks has been. Yeah, and I think once we get to Friday, and especially next week, you're going to see the Islander coverage get ramped up a lot more. And uh, listen, uh, I think that there's a very good opportunity that you know, a week and a half, two weeks from now, Islanders and Boston Bruins in the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, and my And that God. would be just, uh, that's the one team this year, Evan, that I thought would be a very bad matchup if the Islanders got to him. But you get to this point in the season and anything can happen. And I don't want to hear the, you know, the gravy stuff here. I, I said this. No, well. no, no. I don't believe you know, that. You're at a point where you can win this thing. It's been a crazy playoff. You're one of the eight teams left. Go and do it. You're not in this spot very often. I don't care what you weren't were supposed to be, not supposed to be. This is house money. There is no house money here. You have home ice against the Carolina Hurricanes, who, like you, was a surprise team this year. Go and beat them, and then get into the Eastern Conference Finals, and anything can happen. So I think that's what the honest. You have to never be. know when you're going to be back. This is for all the sports. It's never. not house money. It certainly wasn't house money as the Mets are in the Royal, uh, the Mets are playing the Royals in 2015. It's not house money because no. look what you've done since. You got to take advantage of the opportunity. Absolutely. I would advise everybody, if you haven't, to download uh, Carver's podcast, the ILC podcast, and check it out throughout this uh, magical postseason run. This has been fun, and if you've noticed. My voice has gotten stronger. It's gotten better as we've gone on. Well, because when we first started this, <laughs> I, had, woke up. I woke up five <laughs> minutes earlier. I, was, I thought it was a dream. Listen, good job by you, Evan. Are you going to get to the Barclays Sunday for game two? Can, we, can, you, can you promise me that one? I am. Pl- well, I will be. I, I, here's what I can promise you. I'm no going to be. Net, at there's bar- no more net games, Evan. So you can- <laughs> No, no, no. It's not the Nets. Well, first of all, you know I'm going to watch every second of every game. I know. I know. But I will be at one of the games just like I was for the first round. I'm plotting out which one it's going to be. Okay. Uh, because believe it or not, for those listening, I'm not one to walk to, to an organization and say, please give me free tickets. So <laughs> tickets are expensive. Like when I went to the Coliseum, I'll tell you what I dropped on oh, it. Oh, they were expensive. It was like 150 a ticket. And yeah. It, I, I don't regret it. And it's more than that right now for the Barclays. Dude, for round holy two, so. mackerel. I saw the ticket prices. So yeah. a part of that is being smart. You know, with no, the, with I know. I hear you. It's not, listen, it's not, it's expensive to go to these games. It ain't cheap. There's yeah, no doubt. And going with a credential... It's different. It, it's I may do it, like I may do it, and that may be how I go to one of these games. But there is something different about sitting in a seat. Yeah, with, you do that, you hang out with me. We'll have a good time. Yeah, I guess that. Uh, then, we'll, then we'll still have a beer, right? We'll break the uh, right. press rules. Well, we'll wait till the game's over. Yeah, you of course, do. of course. I'm <laughs> kidding. All right, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you, Evan. The great Mike Carver. This has been an Islander edition of the Evan Roberts podcast.